everyone. Thank you so much. Take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Does anyone need a handout tonight? Could you raise your hand? We have some men in the back who would be happy to give you one of those. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In this series that started several weeks ago on biblical giving, what does the Bible have to say about biblical giving, we have looked at stewardship. We touched on the topic of stewardship and how everything we have comes from God, therefore how we treat what we have, how we uh, use what we have should be informed by the Word of God, should fall under God's authority. It does not belong to us, it belongs to Him. And when we understand that everything we have is a gift from God, we have no problem stewarding it for His glory, managing it for His glory, giving our whole lives to Him in that way. Stewardship is very important. The second message I dealt with, worship, the fact that giving is a part of worship. Worship involves bringing gifts to God, it involves bringing ourselves to God, and it always, always, always involves a willing heart. And last time I spoke was about a month ago, actually, on this topic, was on Christ-like giving out of first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 8, verses 1 through about 12. And in that section, I dealt with, uh, beginning with John 3.16 in this passage that many of you know, it says, for God so loved the world that He gave. Uh, Godly giving, Christ-like giving, giving that reflects the character of God is giving or is love that propels giving forward. And we're not just talking here about maybe giving to the church. We're talking about giving to other people. It's it's holding your own possessions loosely. Several, Several reminders about God's giving. We find out in our text from 2 Corinthians 8, that those who experience God's gift will themselves be generous and give to other people. As, as you have experienced a gift of, gift of God, you, are notice, you notice your responsibility to give, and you are much more likely to give, especially if you're filled with the Spirit of God. You experience God's grace, so you give to others. Those who give themselves to God will give. If you have sacrificed yourself on the altar to God, if you say, Lord, all I have is yours, it is much easier to give when you give yourself wholly to God. And thirdly, we noticed last time, those who are spiritually growing will be giving. Uh, If you are not giving, then you're probably not spiritually where you need to be. If you hold tightly to everything you have and you will not give it away, then you are not a person who is walking with God. In fact, the next spiritual step for many of us is being more liberal in our giving. Number four, those who want to be like Christ will give. We saw this at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, or the end of the message last time. In fact, I put this, I believe, at the top of your outline tonight. Is it Christ-like giving? Look at, look at this verse as we um, head into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says this, "'For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" That is, you know the giving, the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you, through His poverty, might become rich. The giving of the Lord Jesus Christ as an example here, one who being in every way God, yet did not consider that something to be held on to, but humbled Himself for your sake, for our sake, for my sake, for us. He came and made Himself poor. He became poor so that I, because of His poverty, through His poverty, might become rich. That is the gospel message in a nutshell. Amen. That's a gospel message in a nutshell, and here we have it tied into giving. So, what should we do 
how should we do this Christ-like giving? Let's open the Word of God together and see what God says about this. Father, we ask You, Lord, to uh, help us to be sensitive to You tonight, and, and thank You very much for the power of Your Spirit to inform us and direct us and cause us uh, to walk with You in a way that's pleasing to You. And Father, may we live our lives that in a way that pleases You in every aspect of our life, including this aspect of financial giving. And Lord, thank You for Your Word. It directs us in these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at verse nine, or chapter 9 and verse 1. We'll begin uh, right here in chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. He says, now, Paul writing to the Corinthian people here, he says, now concerning the ministering to the saints, that is speaking of gifts there, he said, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this, ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised." that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. What should we do as we begin to talk about giving? I believe, number one, we should give with the right attitude. We must give with the right attitude. What is the attitude that we should have when we come to give? Well, you see right from the beginning that we are to give willingly. He says this in the first five verses of this chapter, which I read in full. He said, concerning the ministering of saints, it is superfluous to me to write to you. He said, I don't need to do this. For I know that you want to do this. I know your willingness, and I boast about your willingness to other people. He says, in fact, your zeal for giving has stirred up a lot of people to give. Yet, look at verse 3. He says that there is a potential for them in their zeal, though they had zeal to give, they might not actually give. That they might be stirred up to give and excited to give, but when it actually comes time to write the check, they might back out. And so he says this, yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect. That is, I'm worried that that I've sent the brethren to talk to you about this and to get you ready because I don't want to show up and be like, hey, we're coming, you promised these things, and you'd be like, oh, we forgot. That would be very embarrassing for all of us because I've been promoting how generous you are, and you've been uh, generous uh, in, your, in your contributions and your promises. So he says in verse 4, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. He was worried that their effort would, of, of failing, uh, of giving, of backing out of their commitments would mean shame for both him and for, and for them. And so uh, there's this idea that obedience carries a kind of momentum to it. As people give willingly, it encourages other people to give. He says the majority was encouraged by this, and, and we might need to be encouraged. Look at verse 5. He says, but therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time, prepare your generous gift, that 
You had promised previously that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. I want you to stop there for a second and, and understand what he's saying, because it, it, up until this point, it might come across like he's saying, hey, you know that thing you promised? You better do what you promised or else. And that's not what all what he's saying. He, in fact, he, he makes sure to put at the end here that, look, the reason I'm doing this is not because I'm trying to, 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 to twist your arm or trying to force you into doing something you don't want to do. I'm just trying to remind you to, to, protect, the, the, to protect the testimony of Christ. And he makes it clear here. He says, I want you to be ready as a matter of generosity. I want you to really be generous, and I don't want you to feel like I'm twisting your arm to make you give. I don't want to make you feel like uh, we put you in a vice and have been squeezing you and been trying to get all the money we can out of you. He said, in fact, this is the thing you've promised, just follow through, but do it willingly. Do it willingly. Notice the second attitude he says in verse 6. He says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. I love this word bountifully, this idea of, of, of giving above and beyond. And he identifies giving as, as not wasting or not throwing it away or not tossing it away, but in fact investing. Because when you, when you sow seeds as a farmer, you're not just casting seeds because you don't want the seeds. You're putting the seeds in a place where they can produce fruit. And so he says, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. It's a common idea, and it's very common sense. Like, if you, if you go out and you want to be a farmer and you say, I really want to have a lot of crop this year, uh, I'm going to go and just plant one seed every 10 feet and see how that goes. That's not going to work very well for you. He says, no, seed is cheap. Just spread it around. Just keep casting it. Don't, don't be so stingy with your seed. If you want to have fruit, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for the fruit. If you, want to use, if you want to use the seed to get the fruit, you have to be generous with the seed. You can't, you can't hoard the seed and say, I have only so much seed, so I cannot, I cannot spend it. I'm going to have a lot of seed left over for myself. What good is seed sitting in your house? It needs to be planted in the ground so it can grow. And so he uses a picture, this analogy to say, look, what are you doing with holding on to these things that cannot benefit you? The more you sow, the more you can reap. Invest in other people. Proverbs eleven twenty says, he, there's one who scatters yet increases more, and there's one who withholds more than is right, but leads to poverty, this idea the the sowing is important, scattering and increasing. The more Proverbs twenty two nine says, "He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives his bread to the poor." God honors those who have a generous eye, a generous perspective, a generous view of the world. In fact, in Galatians chapter seven, we have the spiritualization of this principle when Paul tells us that God says, "God is not mocked; whatever a man sows, he will reap." He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good. In due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. He says that we should give bountifully. That means we should not pinch pennies when it comes to being generous with others. We should be frugal with ourselves so we can be generous with others. We ought to be the kind of people who are bountiful in our giving. Thirdly, you'll notice that we should give purposefully. Look at verse 7. He says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. That means you need to reach a decision beforehand as to what you are going to give. I do not 
think that you should come to worship or you should be sitting down to give, and then you look in your wallet and you see how much you can afford that day. I believe this is the kind of thing where you need to make a decision ahead of time. If you're going to be giving, you ought to consider. You ought to do it intentionally. This is the same, there are kind of two aspects of this. One is this idea of the willing spirit that we saw uh, in Exodus, where, where everyone who gave, gave from a willing heart. That is, they purposed in their heart and they gave. This idea of purposing your heart is referencing, obviously, something like Daniel, where Daniel purposed in his heart to do what was right. That's a familiar phrase. But also, I believe that this idea of giving in your heart should be purposeful. It should be intentional. That means you're taking steps before you come to church to decide how you will give to the Lord. It's a thoughtful act. And I think that's missing sometimes in our purposeful giving and our giving. Sometimes we put things on auto pay and we just forget about it. We don't think purposefully about how we are going to give intentionally to the Lord. We ought to be purposeful in our giving. And then fourthly, we see here we should give cheerfully. Look at verse 7. He says, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word grudgingly literally means not from sorrow or grief or affliction. That is, it shouldn't hurt to give to the Lord. Every time I pay my taxes, it hurts. I do not like paying taxes. I do it because I have to, but uh, I end up writing a check sometimes. I think to myself, I don't like this at all. It's a painful thing. But you know what? When we give to the Lord, it ought to be a joyful thing. It's the opposite of that, because God does not waste what I give to Him. God, when the more we sow, the more we reap. He says, not grudgingly. It's not out of affliction. It shouldn't hurt, nor of necessity. This word necessity means being pressured into doing something you don't want to do. That is under duress. I was just watching a documentary recently about the man who was a POW during Vietnam who blinked torture with his eyelids while he was under duress and under stress. He could not say uh, what he wanted to say. So using Morse code, he blinked with his eyes the word torture. And that is a man who was under duress. What he was saying with his mouth was not the truth. And some people may be giving because they are being forced to do so. Maybe by someone else, maybe by the pressure around them. I know that there are some church denominations and cults. I know of one cult in particular that from what I heard, they collect W-2s from their church congregants, and they bill them for their services. This is absolutely disgraceful. We should not be asking people to give of being pressured or being forced to. It says you're of necessity being under duress or under distress. Instead, our, cheer, our giving should be cheerful. Now, you may have heard this before, and it's a wonderful little uh, uh, piece of information about the Greek language the word cheerful is where we get our word hilarious from. It's hilarious. It's literally the word hilarious or hilarion. And we might say that someone, something is hilarious when it makes you smile or laugh, and it brings a smile to your face. And the picture here is that we should be excited and happy. The, the word means being full of cheer, of happy about things, being glad. When you give, you are to be hilarious in your giving. That, that, is, that is the idea in our giving, that we should be full of cheer. And in fact, because God has given us great things, we can be this way. We can be thankful. Look at the pleasure I have of giving what God has given to other people. A couple of verses out of Deuteronomy that talk about how our attitude should be when we give. I found these verses very helpful. In Deuteronomy 15, it says, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within, within the gates of your land which the Lord your God is giving you, 
You shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because of this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all that which you put to your hand. Notice what he says there. Your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. Oh, I'm doing this because God says I have to. That's the wrong attitude. If you keep reading his First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 17, he says, I know also, my God, that you test the hearts and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me and the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things, and now with joy I have seen your people whom you present here offer willingly to you. The principle of scattering and receiving more is continued in the book of Proverbs chapter 11 when it says, there is one who scatters and increases more. Look at verse 25, the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. In this extended section in, Proverbs, in Romans chapter 12, we are taught how we ought to behave like a church. Romans chapter 12, Paul deals with all kinds of different behaviors. And in verse 8, he says this, and he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. How should we give? We should give freely, and that is without holding back with liberality. Uh, one of my favorite illustrations of giving with liberality has to, uh, was given um, by a friend, of, by one of my professors in school. He talked about when he was a boy, uh, his parents are very, very stingy with the syrup at the, at the breakfast table uh, on the pancakes. And I, you may identify with this. Some of your parents may say only so much syrup, especially if it's maple syrup. Um, but the cool thing is, have you ever been to IHOP before? The amazing thing about IHOP is they have like several different kinds of syrup, and you can use as much syrup as you want. Not only that, if you run out of syrup, they'll bring you more. <laughs> and there's no limit to the syrup. I think they have vats of syrup in the back of IHOP. Because you could keep using syrup, you could drink the syrup, they wouldn't care. They got more. This is the idea behind how we should give with liberality, how we should give fully. We should give without holding back. We need to give with the right attitude. This is how we should do it. We should not give with a grudging, uh, a begrudging attitude. We should give with rejoicing. Secondly, I want you to notice that we should give with the right expectations. When we give, we should have the right expectations in mind. And one of the ways you can think about how giving honors God is when you give, you're reflecting God's character, and you're doing this, uh, this willing, bountiful, cheerful giving actually reflects the character of God. It is Christ-like in that way. Notice this encouragement. He says that when you give, this is what you should expect to follow. He says, give, and God will bring abundance. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. One of the concerns that giving revolves around, it involves around the anxieties and concerns we have about caring for ourselves when we're being encouraged to give away our finances. We think, okay, I understand what you're saying, Pastor. I mean, I'd love to be rich so I could give away stuff, but you got to understand, like, i got to take care of my family. i got to take care of things around here. i got to have what I want to have, and, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to be able to live if I give. But the truth is, is as we give, God brings abundance. God is able, able to make all of His gifts, all of His grace, overflow towards you. 
And I can say with confidence, this has happened in my life, as I have committed to give to the Lord, if you, if you have never tithed, if you've never given to the Lord, if you've never set aside your money, if your finances you feel like are just too tight and you can't give to God, I challenge you, just do one month, just stay, just pick a month and say, we will give to the Lord and watch how God provides and watch how God works. Because when you commit yourself and say, we will obey, even if it feels hard, God gives an abundance to you. And I'm not saying He's going to give you a brand new Ferrari or a brand new house, or you're going to all of a sudden be walking around in fur coats. That's not the picture that the Bible gives us of abundance. In fact, the picture of abundance is God will supply all of your need according to His riches. Some of you may end up very wealthy, but we will have the abundance that we need as we give. Notice what he says here. God is able to make all grace what? I want you to look at your Bible and read with me here. He was able to make all grace what? Abound towards you. That means it will overflow. Now watch these next words. I want, you to, I want to ask you the question, is this something that happens just sometimes to some people, or is it something that God is giving to all of us? Look at the next phrase. Always having what? All sufficiency in all things may have an abundance, there's our word abound again, for every good work. You will be able to do what you need to do. You will have sufficiency in all things. You will not lack to do what God has called you to do if you are one who gives, because God will care for you. So when you give, He will not leave you unable to care for yourself. This sufficiency, the enoughness, will be in all things. You will not be left hungry. In fact, he says you will have more than you need to do what you need to do. Have an abundance, he says, for every good work. You will overflow for every good work, more than you thought you needed. And I think sometimes as Christians, our lives is not marked by abundance from our perspective because we think we need much more than we actually need. We think we need the newest this or the newest that. We think we need a lot of, uh, of, of luxuries that we don't necessarily need. But God says that our lives will be marked by abundant growth. Every good work, He says, the good works we will have, they are obedience to God, doing right things. Go back to chapter 8 with me and look at verse 7. Chapter 8 and verse 7, He talks about abounding here. And the word abound is very much tied up with this idea of spiritual growth and how God is working in us. Paul tells them in chapter 8, verse 7, but now as you abound in everything, how do they, what do they abound in? In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, in your love for us, see you abound in this grace also. He connects abundance with spiritual growth. And to make this point, Paul references Psalm 112 in his description of God. He says, He, God, has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His, his horn will be exalted with honor. God gives abundantly. What does it mean that this God will bring, that our God will bring abundance? Well, I have met very wealthy people who never seem to have enough. Um, I used to, when I was in high school, I worked at uh, one of the banks here in town as a, just a runner. I did odd jobs for them and help stock the, the copy room and just did whatever. I met all kinds of very wealthy people who were in financial disaster zone. I mean, you think, how in the world do you spend all that money? Like, I can't even imagine how much money you make, and then you're spending more than you make. As, as uh, one of the things that we, 
we talk about, we, we often have these um, uh, sessions with missionaries. We have missions conferences here at the church. A lot of you don't know this, but on Thursday morning during missions conference, we reinvest in the missionaries and have sessions with them. And one of the sessions we do, we often have Mike will come and help them do a financial uh, finances for missionaries. And we talk about budgeting. We talk about what happens. And one of the things Mike says that's really um, caught, caught my ear, he says that the issue is, is not your earning potential. Your issue is your yearning potential. Your yearning is outspending your earning. And, and what he's getting to here is that objectively they are abounding, but in reality they're not bounding, abounding at all because their heart is full of coveting, coveting, covetousness, and their heart is full of greed, and they want more than God has given them. And so no matter how much money you make, if that is your attitude, you will always be miserable and you will never have enough. And the Bible tells us that you can have a lot of stuff, but be miserable, stuck in a rut, not abounding in the faith, not abounding in speech, not abounding in knowledge or diligence. Your physical and spiritual worlds can be miles apart. But the Bible tells us that God will bring abundance. What He's telling us is not that we will be physically, gratuitously rich, but that we will have more than we need to serve the Lord and to take care of others. And I think this is the promise from God. God always promises to take care of His children Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. So where does this abounding come from? Look at verse 10. He tells us that God will bless your gift. Now may he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. This is like a prayer in the verse when he says, now may he supply seed to the sower and bread for food. I want you to think about what this means. In our context today, if you're a farmer and you want seed, you go to the farmer's market and you purchase seed. In fact, some of the seed you might buy is trademarked or copyrighted or whatever they say, you know. It's got, you can't just, you know, it, it, there's a seed, seed market. But don't let that fool you into thinking that these people actually produce that seed in the same way that we might produce a tool like a hammer or a chisel. Because where does that seed come from? That seed comes from a plant that was made by God. And seeds are produced naturally by plants that grow. And yes, there's selection, all kinds of things that farmers can do today, but, but there's no one in a lab who can make a seed like God makes a seed, especially as he's talking here, especially in this context, when they were talking here specifically, he's saying we gather seeds, then scatters them. God gives us the seeds. God gives us the bread. It's God who gives it, and we just return and use it again. And so the prayer continues. He says, Lord, who gives the seed, multiply the seed, increase the fruit of righteousness. The, the abounding he's most concerned about is your spiritual righteousness, your good acts, your good behavior, your righteous works that honor the Lord. He says well, he, we, should, we should be living a life that blesses God. We, so God will bless the gift and use the gift in an amazing way. Look at what the result is in verse 11. He says the result is this, while you are enriched in everything with all, for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So you've been enriched for a purpose. You see it? You were enriched for what? For all, what's the word? Liberality. What does that mean? It means that you were enriched for the purpose of giving to others. You've been enriched for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Has it ever occurred to you that God has given you as much as He has so you can be generous with other people? 
You've been enriched for liberality. When we see the source of our blessing, we should be thankful. Thanksgiving through us to God. God is praise. Give, give with the right expectations. God will bring abundance, and God will bless the gift. Expect that. Thirdly, we'll notice that we should give with the right recognition. I couldn't think of a better way of saying this, so bear with me here. I, I, you know, I think about how we move from focusing on God now to focusing on who gets the credit for these gifts that are given. You know, there are whole hospital wings you go to. I, I visit a lot of hospitals. Being a pastor, I see people in the hospital and go and visit them, and whole wings of hospitals named after people. And it's not like this is some random person. No, 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 that person gave a lot of money to build that wing. And what they wanted was recognition. They wanted their name on the wall, sometimes even a picture of their face. And there are sometimes whole rows of names of people who've given thousands of dollars for an arts, uh, for, you know, like an arts center or for a museum or for something that's very important to them, like a hospital. They are not going to give that money anonymously. I know I've, I've looked, and I haven't, this may not be the case for everything, but I've looked uh, recently, I was just curious, I looked and I could not find one that said anonymous. The anonymous wing. Like, there's no anonymous wing at the CMC Pineville, right? It's just like at, up, in, up in Charlotte, there was the Sanger wing, there's this wing, there's that wing. There's all these wings named after people who gave lots of money, but you know what? There's no anonymous wing where somebody gave a lot of money and said, I don't want any of the credit. No, people want the credit. When we look at this, I want you to notice that who gets the credit when we give to God? There's, there's not that, I, we should not be giving so we get the credit. We don't have, we don't have a, a fundraiser here at the church and say, let's, let's get everybody in the church who's given the most money a medal. And so we call them down front and we start giving medals to people for the amount of money they've given. We don't put people's names up on the wall for giver of the month. We don't have names for these kinds of things. We expect you to give as God would have you give because who gets the praise? Who gets the recognition? God gets the praise and God gets the recognition. Look at verse 12. He says, For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. You see that? While through the fruit, through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God and you. When you give to God, it's no credit to you. We don't get the pat, the pat on the back because we're, we're only unworthy servants who return back to God what He's given to us. When, my, uh, when we were, had little kids, sometimes the kids would want to give uh, money in the offering, and you might give them a dollar. You know, you'd say, here, get, put this in the offering. So the offering plate comes by, the kid puts the dollar in. Now, that kid who put the dollar in that you gave to them, uh, do they get the credit for, for putting that money in the plate? It, no, it was your dollar. They just happened to put it in the plate, Right? And, and the same thing, the same principle applies to us. When we give back to God, it's not like it's ours to begin with. We're just, we're just returning to God what He gave to us. Like, what credit do you expect? We give glory to God. Notice he talks about the administration of this service. That's the formal giving of the gift. It does several things. Number one, it supplies the need of the saints. The need of the believers are met when we give. Number two, it allows people to give thanks to God. You see that? He says it allows those people, it encourages praise and worship and thanksgiving. Look at verse 13 for number three. It gives people the opportunity to make much of God and glorify God. And what do they glorify God for? They glorify God, he says, for your obedience to the gospel confession and for your open and liberal sharing with them. And number four, it, it connects people. It ties people together, and it encourages right relationships. Verse 14 they pray for you and we long for you. There's a partnership that is built within ministries and the partnership of giving. There are 
There are ministries that we participate in all over this world today because of your giving. We can give to missionaries and we can give to people supported. All over your hands, uh, quite literally, are in ministries all over this world because of the work that's been, that we're able to participate with. God gets the praise and God gets the thanks. Look at verse 15. He ends with this. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. God gets the thanks. What is the indescribable gift? Well, it's Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. I want to close with this particular passage here. In Romans 8, Paul, writing at the end of this wonderful passage, says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That he says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Stop there. He identifies God the Father here, and he says, he loves you so much that he did not spare his own son for you. He willingly gave his son. He willingly gave the most precious thing, his son. He willingly did not spare him. He willingly delivered him up for you and for us. Now, just ponder this moment that Jesus was willingly delivered up for you. This is what God thinks. He will not even spare His own Son. He is willing to give Him up. With that in its context, now read the rest of the verse. He says, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? How small a thing is food when you consider you have Christ How small a thing is clothing when you consider God has already given you Christ? How how small a thing are our concerns and our needs when we think that God has given us His Son to save us from our sin and the great gift of an eternal home in heaven? I cannot fathom the the separation of how great these two things are. He has given us His Son, the greatest gift you could possibly imagine. So, what is it for Him to give us everything else? It's nothing. Why would He hold that back? Why do we assume when He holds back something from us that it's a good thing He just doesn't want to give us? He's already given us the best thing. Here He says that God's generosity for us has been so great, He will obviously give to us everything that is good. So, what's our response? We thank the Lord for His indescribable gift. How do we give in a Christ-like way? How do we give in a way that reflects our Savior? Well, you will give willingly, bountifully, purposefully, and cheerfully. If you don't give, you don't have an opportunity to do those things, and that's sad. It's part of your spiritual growth to learn to give these ways, and, and when you do that, God promises to bring abundance and He promises to bless your gift beyond your expectations. That's the neat thing is that God will bless your gift. You don't know how far your gift will go. You have no idea the spiritual impact your small gift will have in this world or in eternity. So we don't receive any, pre- any of the credit. God gets the praise. God gets the glory. And we can say that's how we give in a Christ-like way. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? We'll pray now, Lord, I ask that you work to show us how we can change our attitude about giving. And I know that some of us give, give well. We give um, uh, of our own uh, volition. We give uh, a good chunk of what you have given to us. And, and Lord, there are some even here who are very proud about how much 
perhaps they give. And uh, yet I pray that in, in these things you would show us how we ought to give in a Christ-like way, not to receive credit from anyone, but that you can be honored and praised and glorified because of, of the, the opportunity we have to give what you have given to us. We can return it to you, and we can see many th- great things happen uh, in, the wor- in the world because of the work that you're doing through our gifts. We're thankful for that. But Lord, most of all, we're thankful for the indescribable gift, the gift that's beyond our comprehension, the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, who came and took on human flesh and walked among us and lived a life here on this earth so that we might have eternal life with you. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you so much for that. I pray as we go into this Christmas season that we would remember the indescribable gift and that it would touch our heart and cause us to rethink how we give to others and how we hold on to our own possessions, Father. May we be, may we be people who are generous with what you have given to us. We thank you,